is the Healthy Family Show, and I am your host, Jenny Hatch. Today, I am going to be talking about Bill Browder, his two fabulous books, The Magnitsky Justice Act, The Ukraine Biological Laboratories, Vladimir Putin, and The Steele Dossier. And the goal today is to hopefully weave together a story that the average Joe can say, yeah, I can see that. And share my thoughts on how I believe the Ukraine war appears to be yanking the band-aid off the international order as new revelations are exposed and old connections are being outed. Uh, I was listening to Matt Taibbi's fabulous podcast this morning. And he told the story of the Magnitsky Act, how it came to be, and how it was Russian attempts to get the Magnitsky Act gone that truly led to uh, some people from Russia meeting together with Don Jr. and Trump Tower back in 2016 for the election, which kicked off all of the Russia collusion hoax. So I'm going to just tell the story of Bill Browder from my perspective. I have read both of his books. They're fabulous. I respect him as an activist. He's probably done more to help quell uh, international intrigue, violence, and oligarch, oligarchy rule of the uh, dark sides, the dark underbelly of the world's uh, moneyed class than perhaps any other individual. He grew up as a red diaper baby, child, grandchild of hardcore American communists. And he determined that he wanted to go over to Europe and help the former Soviet satellites and Russia itself pull itself up from the bootstraps of communism solidly into the world of free market capitalism. And he was largely successful with his efforts and helped expose how some of the oligarchs in Russia were basically stealing the treasury from the people and worked with a young attorney named Sergei Magnitsky to hold those uh, stealing from the people huge assets in the former USSR. And for his efforts, he became an international man on the run, Bill Browder and his family with Putin's goons after him. And Sergei Magnitsky was arrested. And the final year of his life, he was tortured over and over in prison and finally killed. So in his name, Bill Browder went to work to come up with um, a way to sanction those who had stolen from not just the USSR, but also anyone involved in the theft of um, assets that belong to people of certain nations. And he was first successful in lobbying the United States Congress to pass the Mag that Magnitsky Act, which in fact made it so that these oligarchs who had made so much money, they're billionaires, uh, were basically under house arrest in Russia. They couldn't leave their, their home country. They were in the habit of traveling around to all the world's hotspots. They'd go to Vegas. They would go to France and various places where they could party on their yachts and with all the young local gals. And the Magnitsky Act shut them down, made it so they had to stay home. 
which, you know, it's no fun when you have a whole, a whole bunch of money, but no, no place to go. So it was, it was pretty harsh on them and, um, made it so that they wanted to use their money to fight back. And so they came after Bill Browder and both of his books are basically the story of him dodging them over these past 10 years. And he's still alive. He's still kicking. I watched a couple of his videos from Davos and since he came back from the World Economic Forum. And as an individual American woman, I support Bill Browder. I support his work. I think his books tell an amazing story. And I believe that position can coexist with my desire to see the Ukrainian biolabs exposed, who funded them, who made money off them, who did what inside of those biolabs. Oh, by the way, we had a member of the Biden administration come out yesterday and he said definitively there are no biolabs in Ukraine that are tied to American money or presidents or presidents' sons named Hunter Biden. That does not exist. So I guess I'll just show now because there's nothing to see here. Okay, I'm being sarcastic. There are, in fact, biolabs in the Ukraine. There are, in fact, biolabs that were doing gain-of-function research, funded by Rosemont Seneca, which is Hunter Biden's company, tied to Metabiota, tied to Peter Daszak. So these things happened, and lots of money was made, and viruses were messed with and taken to other parts of the world, including Wuhan, China, and then dispersed throughout the world in the form of a new virus, a new variant of viruses. And what do you know? They've come up with the cure in the form of a vaccine. And that was spread. And now the truth is coming out about what has happened to we the people with these new viruses and the cures they've provided for us in the form of vaccines. So I believe Bill Browder, his books, Magnitsky Justice, Justice can go coexist comfortably with American citizens saying, hey, we want the truth on what happened in those Ukrainian biolabs. And if Putin is the one who's at the heart of showing us what's happening in those labs, I'm totally down with that. I think that's great. And I also agree with Matt Taibbi that the people, the person who came up with the Steele dossier and hoisted the Russian collusion myth on us, on the world, on the American people, should also be held accountable. So today on his podcast, he and Walter Kern outed the fact that David Korn just wrote a hit piece. Once again, doubling down, tripling down on the inclusion narrative. And I'm going to share a little bit of his podcast with you. So listen up. Again, this is Matt Taibbi, Walter Kern. Uh, welcome to America This Week. I'm Matt Taibbi. And I'm Walter Kern. Walter, I am. I have rarely been as angry as I am this this morning, at this, in this moment, actually. Um, as, a, as a person in the media, as a little sort of somebody who's done this horrible job for, for three decades... I just can't even express to you how mad I am um, about this a series of events uh, that begins with a massive book-length Columbia Journalism review 
uh, investigation that was published earlier this week on Monday and culminates today, uh, it's Friday, um, with Mother Jones and David Korn, a writer at Mother Jones, who, um, who was one of the first writers to fall for the Steele dossier story, denouncing the Columbia Journalism's Reviews excoriation of Russia coverage as a big fail, mm-hmm. and it's basically the reporter who got it wrong attacking the reporter who spent years getting it right as a fraud. Uh, not not a fraud. That's strong. That's putting it strongly. Um, but but as being wrong and, and calling him out in public. I, I just don't even know where to go with that. I you know I, I used to know David, but. Um, I just find this incredible. I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are. If you've well, seen we're, we're talking about David Korn. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about someone who got quite famous or more famous uh, because of his Russiagate coverage and his accreditation of the Steele dossier, the since debunked Steele dossier. Uh, what exactly is Korn saying the Columbia Journalism Review and its uh, writer Jeff Girth got wrong in their forensic examination of the uh, bunkum that turned out to be Russiagate? So this is, I think, this is the nut graph of, of Korn's piece, um, which is called, hang on a second, uh, Columbia Journalism Columbia Journalism Review's big fail. It published 24,000 words on Russiagate and missed the point. And then there he goes for a while and he mentions his own story that was described without criticism. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's, this, there's a paragraph and it reads as follows. This is the beginning of it. Hearst does not acknowledge how Trump and his campaign assisted Moscow's attack. He writes that, quote, Clinton and her campaign would secretly sponsor and promote an unsubstantiated conspiracy theory that there was a secret alliance between Trump and Russia, end quote, suggesting the media assisted this underhanded plot. And here's the key line. But in a sense, there was a secret alliance. And he goes on to argue that because Trump's people met with this the motley crew of Russian lawyers at the Trump Tower once and had a rendezvous, rendezvous um, from which nothing sprang uh, that we know of, um, uh, that this was a wink and nod uh, uh, agreement. This was uh, an agreement in, quote, wink and nod fashion. And then he writes, uh, Girth accurately notes that as far as we know, the meeting yielded no solid opposition research on Clinton for the Trump campaign to use. Uh, he thus describes the meeting as a flop, but he misses the point. With this confab, Team Trump signaled to Moscow that it was willing to accept Putin's covert assistance. Uh, this may have not, not have been collusion. It was complicity. I see. So they're, they're backing off on the... Uh... They're backing off on the uh, C words here. Um, we're now at complicity because of a meeting that this Russian lawyer asked for, um, which Trump Jr., I believe, agreed to and which came to nothing. Um, meanwhile, over in the other side's uh, ranks, 
uh, many Russians were meeting with someone named Steele at some point, or at least one, um, and forming the basis of a opposition research um, slam on Trump that came apart later. So uh, I would say there was at least complicity on that side with Russians who, you know, may or may not have been linked to Putin, but we don't know if this lawyer who met Trump Jr. was linked to Putin either. Correct? We don't. And I've had, there's a couple of things here. First, I've had the misfortune uh, of being pitched by the same group of people um, Mm -hmm. in the story. So So there's Matt talking about being pitched by the same group of people who came to Trump Jr. Uh, They go on to talk about Magnitsky and the Magnitsky Act. As I stated previously, there were a bunch of oligarchs, billionaires in Russia who had lots of money, but were basically on house arrest, couldn't leave their own country. So what they would do is hire attorneys to go lobby for on their behalf to get rid of the Magnitsky Act because they wanted to resume the playboy lifestyle that they had been enjoying. And so it was these same attorneys who came to Trump Jr. in the tower before the election And this is the one thing that the journalists in America have been able to point to proving that the Trump administration was colluding with Russians to steal the election. So it's all coming out. It's all becoming unraveled. And what I've noticed is that Bill Browder, who, again, I deeply respect. I've read both of his books. I think he is a good, honest hearted soul. He's in he's in his own little enclave doing his work, which it appears he doesn't move too out, too far outside of his, you know, World Economic Forum, Aspen life, where he's surrounded by many people like him who appreciate his work. And again, he's doing great work. He is fighting for justice. But even he was comfortable saying that someone like Tommy Lauren, who was recently on a show with him, debating all of these issues... When she said, look, there's a lot of Americans who would prefer that the Biden administration protect our borders over going over and protecting Ukraine's borders. And we'd like to have an accounting for some of the money that's being spent and the resources that are being involved on the, at the funding of the American taxpayer for this war. That while we wish the Ukrainians well, many Americans feel like we have lots of problems here at home. And that we shouldn't be engaged in this international scene as much. And it feels a whole lot like Iraq and Afghanistan and other places where we've gone, where we've kind of spinning our wheels and the war machine kicks in and, and it's where it's going. Nobody's really sure. It's just going and costing us a lot of money. And so she was making these points to Bill Browder and he, he downplayed and said that it was the people who enjoy her, her position who think the way she thinks is a very small minority of Trump supporters. And for me, as a Trump supporter who's also watching things very closely with this war, who questions the amount of money that's being donated to Ukraine, the resources we've committed, uh, nobody would believe a year ago that Biden was going to be sending over tanks and jets and talking about nuclear stuff. I mean, some of us knew that was coming, but, you know, it was more like, well, we've got to do everything we can to support Ukraine. And we did. Lots of money. I've heard over a $100 billion. 
in, in tools and cash. Some of that coming back to American Democrats and Republicans to help fund their 2022 campaigns. So questions about money laundering. Bill Browder didn't, didn't talk about any of these issues when he was on Pierce Morgan's show with Tommy. Tommy's a young conservative voice and he claimed that she and her followers were trolls. And I, I think when you call someone a troll, you're dismissing their right with this broad brush saying, I don't have to listen to what you have to say because you're just here to troll me. I'm the good guy. I'm doing good things with my life, writing good books, dealing with the real bad guys. And you are providing aid and comfort to them. Big, bad, conservative Trump supporter. And so I don't have to listen to you. And all I would say to Bill Browder is, hey, Bill, I support your work. I, I would guess that most Americans would support your work. Good for you. But broaden your thinking a little bit and understand that your work can coexist with us questioning what's happening in Ukraine and especially what's happened in Ukraine in the past tied to biolabs. Oh, wait, no. A person from the Biden administration came out and said there are no American funded bio labs in Ukraine. Nothing to see here, nothing to question here. So I guess I'll just shut down the show, right? So Matt went on to talk about the Minsky Act, how complicated it is in his next segment with Walter Kern. I'm going to share just a little bit of that because I love Matt. I think he's it is at the top of his game as a journalist and Walter Kern, nobody can question his integrity. So they say it much better than I ever could. Mikhail Hartokovskated, but many years ago there was a congressional act passed called the Magnitsky Act, which punished Russia for the basically the imprisonment and then subsequent death of a lawyer named Sergei uh, Magnitsky, who worked for the banker Mikhail Hartokovsky. Um, because of that, those sanctions, Russia then. In turn, uh, I get, I, I believe the, the sequence is they, they outlawed adoptions to the United States. Mm -hmm. So Prevazon, um, they were a company that were, they were in America basically technically to serve as defense counsel for this, in this American court case that involves some Russians that, and some money that, um, it, that was tied to Magnitsky. It, again, it's very complicated. What they were also doing was lobbying for the repeal of the Magnitsky Act. And the way they would do this is they would go, they would call up people, members of Congress and reporters, and right. they would say, you know what? It's such a shame that people, that Russian kids can't be adopted in America. Wouldn't it be great if that pipeline could be reopened again and everybody could be happy and kids could find great homes in America? All you have to do is lift these sanctions um and repeal the magnitsky act right so there's something slimy about it absolutely right um i got pitched that once as a reporter and was so was so repulsed by it that i hung the phone you're saying up. you took a meeting with the russians <laughs> technically i guess uh i i i, didn't, I don't even remember how the sequence happened it was so that's pretty much the end of matt's quote that these people trying to repeal magnitsky had approached him as a journalist saying, hey, we want your help to be able to have Russian kids adopted by Americans. And so we have to get rid of this Magnitsky Act 
which again was to punish oligarchs who had stolen from the people of Russia. But they, they use these underhanded tactics to try and get Matt on board as a reporter agitating for the repeal of the Magnitsky Act. So I'm going to pivot from here to Clint Watts because Clint Watts is an FBI agent who appears to be at the heart of the media campaign fanning the flames of Russian collusion in American media. And this was another Twitter files drop this past week. And I have a history with Clint Watts. And so I want to tell the story of my experience interfacing with him and his supporters on his Substack because I think it's illustrative of where we're at, again, with all of the propaganda. And so Clint Watts is someone who has written books and been a source for the government on all things Russia for decades. And he is basically a paid propagandist who on his Substack and in his various, uh, I think it's called Group 68. I can't remember the name of his organization. He was a source. His organization was a source for information for journalists all over the country and all forms of journalism, including Snopes, which is the big site to quote, debunk all of the, all of the lies and propaganda that supposedly was coming out from people like me. You know, I, I would write something on my blog or in one of the magazines where I contributed work. And here would be these trolls coming to debunk using resources from Snopes. And so you have Snopes, you have Wikipedia, and all sorts of other media organizations claiming to be the sole arbiter of truth coming out against people like me, who as an anti-vaxxer and an, a vaccine abolitionist who has devoted oodles of time since I started blogging in 2005, attempting to educate parents especially, but anyone about the dangers of vaccines, um, I was high on their list for uh, being debunked with their so-called factual science and so this has been a long-term relationship I've had with these types of people. It jacked up so significantly in the Trump era, and especially the past three years of COVID, that when Clint Watts wrote a post on his Substack talking about how his autistic daughter needed to have everybody get vaccinated so she could go back to school, I simply went to Twitter and read all of the responses to his passionate post. Every single response was positive, hundreds of responses, positive. Oh yes, Clint, I'm going to get the shot for and in behalf of your child so she can go back to school. And then on his Substack, he's virtue signaling, I just got my first shot, showed a picture of, of himself with his sleeve rolled up, I got the shot. And then all of these journalists, Brandy Zadrozny, all these journalists who he's friends with were coming in saying, I just got mine too, I got mine too. And I compared them to a group of like adolescents in the locker room bragging about how they just lost their virginity. It, it was a real moment for these people to signal to each other, yes, I'm part of the team. Yes, I took one for the team. And then over on his Substack, again, every comment was positive, supportive, and, and I wanted to vomit. So I thought, what the heck, I'll just go over there and chime in and just see what happens. 
And, you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to realize that within about five seconds, I was experiencing what I term the Emma Woodhouse pile-on from Clint's many supporters in the comments section of his Substack. And I, I went ahead and screen grabbed all these comments, anticipating that at some point somebody was going to come in and take away my comments and all of the debate that we had that day. And so I'm glad I did. I didn't get all of them, but I got most of them. And within about 48 hours, I had been blocked and banned from Clint's Substack. It said for 100 years, I was blocked. And then all of my comments had been removed. He left the replies to my comments. So I have that proof that I was there. But he removed all the comments and told me I needed to go try and sell my wares other places. I was not there to sell anything. I was there to comment and have a conversation with people in his, his comment section about the impact that the vaccines were having on all of us, why I had chosen not to get myself vaccinated. And the response was just crazy bananas. So that was my one interaction with Clint Watts, immediate censorship, immediately being blocked, called a troll, called a grifter. The reason why I put a link to one of my books in the chat is because someone questioned whether or not I had been a homeschooler and I shared my education book just to prove, yes, I was a homeschooler and here's my proof. Here's my book wrote about homeschooling to just say, Hey, cut the, cut the crap. I, I really did homeschool my kids here and there anyway. Um, so he called a grifter and canceled me and moved on with his life. This was two years ago. And since that time, Clint has now been outed as perhaps the greatest source of misinformation in the media, probably in the history of America, in terms of reach, the amount of articles that were written using him as a source of provable Russian propaganda. He was the one who set up the fire, lit the fire, fanned the flames, sent those flames all over the country in the form of just thousands and thousands of media stories that were absolutely wrong, fraud. And now you've got Matt Taibbi and Walter Kern. Yes, Steele Dossier was a fake. Yes, James Baker, who again was at the source, of the heart of it. He was sent over to Twitter to help cover up, help shut down anybody questioning the official narrative. And, and God bless Elon Musk for recognizing that James Baker, again, was acting as a gatekeeper when the first Twitter fires were coming out. And James Baker's there going, yeah, you can look at these ones, but not these ones. And Matt said, uh, goodbye. We're going to talk to you later. Don't want to hear any more from you, James Baker, government propagandist. And all these guys have ties to the FBI. So I'm grateful to be alive right now to see all of this unfolding, the truth coming out piece by piece. I hope at some point that people like Bill Browder and Matt Taibbi and Walter Kern can come to a meeting of the minds and see the whole big picture of the fact that there has been negative and dark stuff happening in Ukraine, funded by American interests, making lots of money off a fake pandemic and a fake vaccine. And that we can at least have some acceptance that the two stories can coexist. We don't have to be enemies. 
we can say, yes, Bill Browder is right to be going after those Russian oligarchs, setting up the Magnitsky Act. It's been beautiful and good, and it's spreading around the world, and that's a good thing. And it's also a good thing that the Ukrainian biolab story is being exposed by none other than Vladimir Putin. Those things can coexist. So I see I have a couple of listeners. Do either of you want to chime in, Pedro or Faim? I don't I don't think I've ever met you, Faim. Or um Amira, it looks like you just showed up. If you don't want to say anything, that's okay. I can uh look in the chat, see what you got blocked for a hundred years. Yes, I got that on I actually got that on a screen grab that I was blocked for a hundred years. Good old Clint, he wants to um have open and honest dialogue and conversations about the issues of the day. <laughs> no, he's the original propagandist. And uh, he sure didn't want to hear from me that day on his Substack. All right, I'm going to shut down the show. Thanks, everybody, for stopping by. I hope you have a great day. And for those of you listening on Spotify and other platforms after this show is live, head over to my Substack at jennyhatch.substack.com where I have lots of good information about these stories. And this is my first podcast dedicated to the Magnitsky Act, Bill Browder, and connecting it to the Ukraine war. I'm going to come back and talk about this again and again and again until I feel like we're starting to have some consensus around these issues because it's important. And we need to see the whole big picture and not get lost in our own little rabbit holes, talking about this and that, but agree that that there's lots to see here and that it can coexist. Thanks again for stopping by. I hope you have a great day.